Um, have you heard us throwing around the, the latest um, diagnosis from the Surgeon General? We, we've mentioned it a couple of times that uh, loneliness is now an epidemic in the United States. Um, in the, the report to the nation, the Surgeon General adds, loneliness is associated with a greater risk of cardiovascular disease, dementia, stroke, depression, anxiety, and premature death. The mortality impact of being socially disconnected is similar to that caused by smoking up to 15 cigarettes a day, and even greater than that associated with obesity and physical inactivity. In a book titled Together, the Surgeon General writes, loneliness is a root cause and contributor to many other epidemics sweeping the world today, from alcohol and drug addiction to violence to depression and anxiety. Apparently, we're a seriously lonely people hiding behind our busyness, hiding behind the letters next to our name, hiding behind all the things we hide behind. And I'm just wondering if there could be a people, a community, that maybe could create space and make room and have time for another. I don't know, a, a community of people where your name is known and your story is heard and your questions are honored because apparently we live in a very lonely world and the church has something to offer. Uh, Mother Teresa, do you know this name? Uh, 1994, uh, in a conversation that was recorded called Loneliness, the Leprosy of the Western World, maybe even more devastating than Calcutta poverty. Just let that sink in. Uh, Jamie Smith, in a book titled uh, On the Road with Augustine, we have no one to blame but ourselves. We made this world. In modernity, we remade the human person into a buffered self, protected and autonomous and independent, free to determine our own good and pursue our own authentic path. We shut out incursions of the divine and demonic to carve out a privatized space to be free on our own terms. We didn't realize the extent to which we were shutting ourselves in. We thought we were our own liberators. Turns out we might be our own jailers. Isn't that fascinating? We thought we were going to just write our own story. Turns out we've imprisoned ourselves. And I'm just wondering if there's a, a people, a group, a community that might have something to offer. Space and time and room for another. You don't have to agree with everything, but can you care enough about the person in front of you? So we're calling this fall Connection, Sacred Rhythms in a Lonely World. We want to commit ourselves to the basic practices that have sustained Christ followers for 2,000 years, looking for, hoping for, anticipating connection with God, connection with each other. And one of the ways we go about that, rather than thinking of ourselves as writing our own scripts, our buffered selves, independent, autonomous, we immerse ourselves in a much bigger story. Your story gets held in this story. So listen to this. This is from Genesis. The Lord appeared to Abraham by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the entrance of his tent in the heat of the day. He looked up and saw three men 
standing near him. And when he saw them, he ran to them from his tent entrance and bowed down to the ground before them. He said to them, my Lord, if, if, if you have found favor with your servant, let, let a little water be brought and, and, and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree and, and, and let a little bread be made to refresh yourselves and then you can pass on since you've come to your servant. And they said, do as you have said. So Abraham hastened into the tent and said to Sarah, make ready quickly three choice measures of flour, knead it, and make cakes. And he ran to the herd, and he found a calf tender and good, and he gave it to the servant who hastened to prepare it. And he brought the calf and the curds and the milk to them, and he stood by them as they ate under the tree. And they said to Abraham, where's your wife? Sarah. And he said, there? In the tent. Then one of them said, in due season, I will return to you, and your wife Sarah will have a son. Now Sarah was listening behind the tent. Now Sarah and Abraham were old, advanced in age. It had ceased to be with Sarah according to the manner of women. And she laughed when she heard it, saying, in my old age and in my husband's old age shall I have pleasure. And the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? Saying, Indeed, in my old age, shall I bear a son? Is anything too wonderful for the Lord? And Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And the Lord said, oh, yes, you did laugh. And the Lord did for Sarah as he had said. The Lord dealt with Sarah as he had promised. Sarah bore Abraham a son in his old age, as God had said. And Abraham named him Isaac. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's Genesis 18, 1 through 15, and then jumping over to chapter 21, just the first few verses there, if you wanted to find it. We're not writing our own stories. We don't write our own scripts. We're not autonomous, independent individuals finding our way out in the world. We're a part of a much larger story, and we immerse ourselves in it to reconnect with God and reconnect with one another. So let, let's just, let me get you up to speed here. God, Christians think, made the world. He made it with a word, and he thought everything was really good, but something very bad happened. We call it the fall, sin, brokenness. And what's the first thing that they do after they eat of the fruit? They hide. They disconnect. They sewed fig leaves together and they made loincloths for themselves. God made them for naked and not ashamed, but they eat of the fruit. And the first thing they do is disconnect. And then what's the next thing they do? They hide from God. They hid among the trees of the garden. Disconnection again. God made us for one another, made us for himself. And yet, the, the fall has been spiraling us in disconnection ever since. 
But God won't leave us wallowing in disconnection. The first question God asks after the fall, where are you? I want to be with you, connection. And he set out on a mission to accomplish that, which will be fulfilled one day when everything's made new and when everything's made right. And on the way, he shows up to Abraham. This is Genesis 12. He shows up to Abraham, and he says, here's the deal, Abraham. I'll be your God. You'll be my people. I'm going to give you a boy, a child, a son to raise. And through him, we're going to bless the whole world. And then we come to, and, and God pro- makes that promise to Abraham four times over the course of 30 years. Have you ever had to wait? I'm not talking about the checkout line at the grocery store, you know, the self-checkout one where you're behind the person that does whatever they do and the light starts blinking and you start losing your mind. I'm talking about 30 years. That's where we are now. The Lord appeared to Abraham by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the entrance of his tent in the heat of the day. I want you to pay attention with me to Abraham's feast, Sarah's laugh, and God's question. Does that sound like a good morning? Thanks, thanks. I thought so too, and I'm just making this up as we go. Uh, Abraham's feast. Did you notice what Abraham said he was going to bring to the three? Who are they, by the way? These three, but they're one. Like sometimes they speak and sometimes one speaks. It's all sort of curious and confusing. Do you remember what Abraham said he was going to bring to them? A little bit of bread and a little bit of water. But then what does he actually bring to them? A gargantuan, three choice measures of flour. That's like, I looked it up, I do my homework, okay? That, that was described as a gargantuan amount of bread. <laughs> he, they, he brings a lot of bread, and a calf, tender and good, and curds and milk. He said, just a little bit of bread and a little bit of water, and he brings them this entire feast. Uh, Pastor Anna, do you know Anna Erickson? Uh, her Old Testament professor in college, Wheaton College, she wanted me to point out, <laughs> wrote a commentary on this passage. In it, he writes, Hospitality customs required that all strangers who approached a dwelling were to be offered the opportunity to rest, refresh themselves, and eat a meal. This was done to transform potential enemies into at least temporary friends. Protocol required that the meal served to the guest exceed what was first offered. Thus, Abraham simply offers a meal, but what he orders prepared is, orders prepared is freshly baked bread, a calf, and a mixture of milk and yogurt. What is particularly generous here is the fresh meat. Just a little bit of bread and a little bit of water, and he provides this abundant feast. Does Abraham know he's engaging the living God? We know he is because the narrator kind of clues us in. The Lord appeared, to, but Abraham doesn't know. Abraham is just extending hospitality. Abraham is just opening a table, making space, making room for someone else, and lo and behold, encounters God. And I'm just wondering if there aren't a few folks, maybe a couple of people, who might want to practice unreasonable hospitality, might want to make a little room and have a little space and take a little time for someone else only to realize you've encountered God. Am I making too much of this? What does C.S. Lewis say? Uh, The holiest object in your view next to the blessed sacrament itself is your neighbor. A little bit of space, a little bit of room, a little bit of time. Connection. That's God's heart. And of course it's God's heart. He's the one who set the table for us. He's the one who had time for us, made space for us. 
made room for us here at this table. We, we just want a little bit of bread and a little bit of water to make it through the day. And God pr- provides this lavish feast his whole life for us. Uh, Fleming Rutledge reflecting on this passage. Now the Lord comes to us once more in his three-person splendor and pity and love. It's his table now, and we're the guests, guests of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and the angels and archangels join their voices to ours. Come with Abraham and Sarah and find hope for your hopelessness, joy for your sorrow, purpose for your life, and never-failing guidance of the Lord your God, whose intimate presence may at any moment invade your tent and your table and with astonishment and joy. Can we make a little bit of space, a little bit of room, take a little bit of time? Could there be a community of people that would commit themselves to being a place where your name is known? Does this sound familiar, by the way? Your story's heard. Your questions are honored because that's the kind of God we serve. I wanted you to pay attention to Abraham's feast. Uh, Now Sarah's laugh. For the record, by the way, if I had included Genesis 17 in the story, Abraham laughs too. So let's not be picking on Sarah. Uh, Sarah laughed. Abraham laughed too. Uh, The Lord promised her a boy. When When I return to you in due season, Sarah will have a son. And she laughs. <laughs> Not exactly. <laughs> she laughs. She sneered. She snickered. It's the laugh of doubt. Anybody ever laughed the laugh of doubt? It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. It can't happen. That says of her, it ceased to be with her after the manner of women. <laughs> the Bible gets creative in the way it describes <laughs> biology. She's old and he's old and some guy, they don't know, some guy shows up, starts talking about, you're going to have a baby. (laughs) Not possible. In my old age and in my husband's old age, shall I have pleasure? That's what she says. Because it'd been 30 years. It'd been 30 years. I was in Mr. Osmond's physics class 30 years ago. 30 years of waiting, wondering. And, and they tried to fix it themselves. They tried to, they tried to take care of it themselves. And, and, you know, remember Abram sold Sarah out for his own protection? Remember that part? And you can only imagine how that went for their marriage. And they find themselves disconnected. They find themselves apart. There's this interesting echo here in Genesis 18, all the way back to Genesis 2. Remember Genesis 2, the first question, God, Genesis 3, the first question God asks? Where are you? And now what does God ask Abraham? Where is your wife? Do you hear the echo? And they've, been, they've, they've spent 30 years disconnected. The sadness, the ache, the longing for something that isn't arriving. And what happens? It happens to all of us. We get bitter and we get angry and we disconnect. And here they are. And, and she says, in my old age, shall I have pleasure? The word pleasure is Edna, which is a derivative of Eden. It carries with it as a noun sexual connotations. It's not just, shall I have a son that carries on the name, but shall I have pleasure? Can anything good happen to me? Can anything good be for me? Will I be restored in relationship to my husband? Shall I have pleasure? And she laughs. And God said, why did Sarah laugh? Is anything too wonderful for the Lord? And she she, she, she resists. No, 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 I didn't laugh. And God says to Sarah, oh, yes, you did. You did laugh. And then they named the boy Isaac. You know what Isaac means? Laughter. God takes our snickering sneers and turns it into shouts of joy. 
God will take our mourning and our brokenness and our hurt and turn it into redemption. Sarah laughed, and she laughed still. Maybe, just maybe, God wants to reconcile us to himself and to one another. Maybe, maybe just maybe, the, the sadnesses that exist in our lives that keep us from one another, maybe God's going to make something new of our lives and draw us back. Isn't that God's heart? To, to connect us again? Isn't that what it looks like in the end? People from every language and tribe and nation all gathered around the throne worshiping the, the, the lamb. Isn't that what Jesus prayed? That they would be one as I, Father, am in you and you are in me, that they may be in us, that they may be one, that they may be completely one so that the world may know. Maybe God wants to not just take care of your circumstance but reconcile you to another. Could that be? Because I don't know, I'm just a guy watching a world go by and it just seems like we yell at each other and we fight and our, and our patterns lead us to bickering and anger and vitriol and polarity and maybe just maybe the heart of the gospel is to draw us back together is that possible could there be a community of people who are willing to lay down their arms only to pick them up again and embrace i guess me and louise are the only two who are into this (laughs) sarah laughs and god turns her laughter into praise i also want you to notice god's question Is anything too wonderful for the Lord? Hmm. It's a good question. Is anything too wonderful for the Lord? One day, God is going to make all of this new. One day, God is going to make all of this right. One day God is going to pick up the broken pieces of our lives and put them back together again in wholeness. Is anything too wonderful for the Lord? And you know how it goes. They have a boy, they have a child, they get Isaac. It's great. The point of the story is not that they got their circumstance fixed. The point of the story is that redemption unfolds. The big story continues. Not just our little story gets taken care of, but the unfolding story of God's redemption takes place in the world. It's not just that Abraham and Sarah had a boy named Isaac. It's that through Isaac, Jesus would be born and the world would be blessed. We don't write our own little stories. We participate in a much larger story of redemption unfolding in the world, regardless of how the circumstances may go. Are you with me? So I, can I pick on you guys again? Zach and Morgan, they, uh, little Beckett, born November 11. I mean, they hadn't even, like, wiped the sleepers off of his eyes before he's rushed off into the NICU, neonatal diabetes. Did you say one of four kids in the world? I mean, the sample set is so small, and the other three, non-mobile non-communicative. What's it going to be like for Beckett? How's it going to go for little Beckett? He's doing great. Thank you, Lord, but who knows what tomorrow looks like? Who knows what tomorrow brings? Is he going to toddle off into the kindergarten class and mom and dad are going to cry as they see him go? We're not. Uh, Morgan sent me a draft of her testimony ended it like this 
his future is still a beautiful mystery. In only God's hands, we are thankful for exactly who Beckett is and that his story, no matter the direction it may go, will always point to Jesus. That's the point. His story, no matter the direction it may go, will always point to Jesus. Is anything too wonderful for the Lord? So they've been uh, singing a song, I think. Did we, did we get the song right? Yeah. So they've been singing that song. I throw up my hands. Well, that's what you do in life when you can't do anything else. Throw up my hands in desperation. Anybody ever been there? And it's the same posture of praise. Maybe they go together for a reason. Maybe when you can't do any more. Maybe when there's nothing left to do, you just throw up your hands and look to Christ, point to Jesus. So I thought, Emily, can we try it again? I want, yeah, I'm going to force you to do it. You've got to do it. You take your right hand, you raise it up a little bit like this, and then you take your left one too. Let's sing together. So I throw up my hands and I praise you again and again. Here's all that I for the Lord. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.